online. Please stay tuned for uh, Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. ending nice and tidy it's a rule I learned in school get your money every Friday happy endings are the rule so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Eddie kind of choked there. I, I, I think he forgot who was, who was in the studio here. <laughs> I love it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. There she is in there. I, uh, I'm getting the same way myself. I just looked at my shoes. Ah, uh, this is the way it starts, folks. Or uh, maybe this is the way it ends. I have odd shoes. Most absent-minded folks have, uh, you know, odd socks. I noticed that I have odd shoes, but they're both Birkenstocks. Yes, she's an old broad in Birkenstocks. And so, you know, probably people won't point at me. The first thing I want to do today is I want to tell you I I think I misspelled something. Oh, gosh, I haven't been on for weeks. It was two weeks ago. The word is cockistocracy. Now, this is a very important word. I'm trying to use it every chance I get. It's K-A-K-I-S-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y. Kakistocracy. It's a Greek. It means uh, government by the very worst men in the society or in the state. Yes, government by your worst citizens. Kaka, kakistocracy. <laughs> I love it. Never mind, never mind. Uh, yes. Uh, my country, tis of thee, sweet cockistocracy. Today is Tuesday, May 31st, the very last day of pretty little May, and tomorrow June will bust out all over. It's summer and life's a bitch. I'm going to be positive today. At least I'm going to try. I'm going to read you a poem. I think I should always try to begin each of these little half hours with a poem because I've been venting too much lately. Venting too much. I asked um, on the air what people thought of Air America where they vent, you know, 24-7, which I kind of enjoy. And uh, let's see, one note I got back here said, well, they pack a punch, but KPFA has more depth. I hope. Oh, I hope. Anyway, this poem is by a local woman, Katha Pollitt. Katha Pollitt is now uh, a major player. She uh, writes for the nation, and uh, she is a quite remarkable poet. The last few poems I've read, um, I've saved. I hope she'll get a book of poems out soon, because mostly she writes polemics and... Uh, political stuff uh this poem is called rapture and 
You can find it in the New Yorker of 9th May of this year, 2005. The New Yorker, 9 May issue, 2005. Uh, it's about, of course, the, the heaven that perhaps some Christian fundamentalists think of uh, when they think of their future in paradise. Paradise, yes, it's called rapture. Of course, her vision is probably not quite the same as theirs. This is Catholic's rapture. It is just as they knew it would be. The proof of their rightness spread around them like grass or sidewalks among the bland, custardy palaces and picnic tables of their reward. The air smells of children and coconuts. Truth blares from every station on the dial. Do they miss dogs? The black squelch of November, bittersweet wringing its red hands. Are they saddened to meet an old love without pain? In the gilded, silent grove that lately, come to think of it, has been looking rather dusty, and where less and less often they feel someone watching. The angels are kind, like waiters, but not very talkative. No wonder they gather like exiles, straining toward faint reports crackling up from below war, disaster, stars plunging into the sea. God, it appears, is elsewhere, even here. That is Cather Pollitt's poem, Rapture. I love the bit about, uh, yes, the grove, the old love without pain, you see. And <laughs> that looks rather dusty from <laughs> the point of view of those who are, uh, what is that, no longer living in the flesh. Uh, interesting. Uh, life is better. Life is better. Always better to be alive, even in the worst of times. The worst, worst of times. Uh, let me mention to you before I forget, I'm always forgetting to do this because um, it's opening night tonight at the Shotgun Players, and I don't want you to miss out on that in case it's not opening. Pardon me, pardon me. I got it wrong here. It's a preview. It's a preview. Tonight's a preview. Tuesday night, May 31st, and Wednesday night, June 1st. Previews. Opening is Thursday, June the 2nd, so, you know. You can't hold it against them if something goes wrong tonight. Anyway, this play is going to run through July the 3rd. And all performances are at 8 o'clock. It's at the Ashby Stage, right around the corner from where I live at the Harriet Tubman Terrace. Very convenient. It's 1901 Ashby Avenue. That's at Martin Luther King in Berkeley. Now, you can call Shotgun Players. That's easy enough. It's the local phone number, 5 and Dime area code, 841-6500. Uh, now, the uh, performances 
let's see, tonight says here tickets May 31st through June the 5th performances are pay what you can with first come first serve seating. Then from June 9th to July 3rd, sliding scale $10 to $30. All reservations must be prepaid. Okay, right. Give them a call or you can look on the web www.shotgunplayers.org. We don't say www anymore, Jennifer. Shotgunplayers.org. That's on Ashby Avenue. 8 o'clock tonight. Now, Arabian Night is by Roland Schimmelfenning. I love Schimmelfenning. It's a wonderful name. It's uh, translated by David Tushingham. I wonder if he's related to Rita Tushingham, that great English actress. Anyway, it's directed by a woman, a member of the shotgun company, Andrea Weber. And it says here, the only clue I have to what it's all about, it says, Arabian Night. On a hot summer night in a Berlin apartment house, the mythic and unexpected nightmares of five tenants twist into a dreamscape that is part fantasy and part urban thriller. Mm. Sounds like my kind of a play. I'm going to try and make it to see that uh, Arabian Night at the Shotgun players and yes memorial day memorial day i hope you had a wonderful memorial day ah <laughs> uh, yes i spent memorial day avoiding the remembrance rituals uh all those beautiful boys all those thighs and brown eyes under the ground <laughs> once i went up to the presidio my father is buried there he was a uh, commander in the navy he was a, on a hospital ship as a doctor and he got on this hospital ship in world war Two. so they gave him a nice burial he always said he wanted that uh, 21 sun galoot that's what he wanted um, I think of all those young men one that I might have loved, you know, I used to imagine that my soulmate might have died in World War Two or maybe Korea. And maybe that's why I never found him. I did marry a World War Two vet at some point. My kid brother used to say that he, that is my husband till 1966, that that was the only man in America who would or could put up with me. Then my kid brother went to Vietnam. He is now a quadriplegic. Everyone my age is a kind of survivor. We get a survivor badge, yes. We lived through it all. Um, most of us wounded, defeated, uh, or defiant. Whatever. I got this wonderful neon sign this uh, uh, past month. It's uh, uh, the cursive word, whatever. And it's a neon in red. It sits on my desk. I just love it. Whatever. <laughs> La-dee-da, as Annie Hall used to say in the movie. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Yes, my country, tis of thee. Sweet land of kakistocracy. Sweet land of autocracy, plutocracy, jockocracy, thievery, patriarchy, kleptocracy, tyranny, an empire of 
old men as the world is turned by dying men. Mostly wealthy white types, you know, Euro-American dudes. The guys who employ the young men and now the young women, mostly the poor, not-so-white folks, uh, they are employed to do the fighting for us, for uh, the rulers. It is a cruel culture we live in, a death culture, some people say. I um, am into escapism this week. I'm becoming a little fay. I checked out a new HBO film called Empire Falls. <laughs> it's a kind of our town for the 21st century. wasn't really very good, wasn't art, but it held my attention. I turned it on because I thought, well, this is about the fall of empire. Empire Falls, right? Uh, which it is, actually. You see, it's supposed to be ironic. The title is supposed to be ironic. It's actually the name of a town set on the eastern seaboard. This is the movie, yes. Empire Falls. It's full of sad folks and sadistic folks and... Uh, Oh, the one good guy's kind of a Catholic uh, soul played by Ed Harris. These are all familiar characters, and it did have a touch of naturalism, realism. Joanne Woodward plays the the rich bitch, or actually she's a rich witch. (laughs) She cheerfully, pragmatically, yes, um, breaks the back or breaks the spirit of those that she could cherish if she would. Uh, Holly Hunter plays a self-centered, immature woman, definitely a a bit of a new ager, yes. She thinks that losing weight will change her life. Her daughter clings to the dad, Ed Harris, yes. Uh, uh, He has a soul, apparently. Uh, Estelle Parsons is terrific. Teresa Russell, I haven't registered Teresa Russell as an actor, not since uh, she and Bill Murray did The Razor's Edge. Long time no see. Paul Newman is in this uh, a movie, uh, Empire Falls. He has my part, my role. He's 70. He's a ne'er-do-well. Uh, yes, as his son Ed Harris says, yes, the dignity, the dignity ship sailed years ago, Dad. You, you can't, you know, you can't get dignity. He's a, a bum. Um, he does try to enjoy life, and he often succeeds. Uh, I think people will like him in this part. The teenagers in this story are in deep, deep torment. One of them goes ballistic at the end. We all know that story. Uh, I don't know what it is about our culture. Actually, I'm afraid I do know what it is about our culture. Why wouldn't you become homicidal and suicidal uh, if you were a young, uh, vulnerable child in today's world? Um, today's high school students are uh, really facing some awful stuff. They've become instant adults in a world without safety or comfort. Uh, world in which uh, I guess they they are neither loved nor cherished um, now as I said this movie isn't art but uh, it's, it was a lot better than the trash and trauma flash for cash crap at uh, the multiplex the Hollywood pictures lately I just can't I can't sit 
through two hours of that. Uh, now, Empire Falls was three and a half hours long. McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan, used to tell us that TV is this cool medium, you know. You can actually uh, have uh, thoughtful narratives. You can have time, develop characters, uh, film novels, long stories, you know, like those wonderful Victorian novels. What would we used to say about those novels? We used to say, uh, be a long vine and then a grape, and then another long vine and a grape. <laughs> now, today's MTV audience wants just all cluster of grapes, you know, at the movies. It's all pow, pow, pow. There has to be a, a action every minute. But uh, I think that um, there is an audience for these long, thoughtful films. Um, most of them are coming out as series. I think television is where we will see them nuance and that kind of thing, sort of thing that a writer can get his teeth or her teeth into. Sociopolitical issues, you know, personified. The personal is political. You can illustrate the zeitgeist. Anyway, this picture's Empire Falls. It wasn't as good. I like better Warm Springs, a recent HBO film about Franklin Delano Roosevelt in which Kenneth Branagh plays FDR back in the 20s when he's um, uh, struggling to overcome his polio and uh, Kathy Bates plays the therapist and the wonderful Cynthia Nixon plays Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, anyway, uh, Empire Falls uh, uses as its base, the base of the story, the economic realities of our new USA, you know, the town that once was riding high, and now, you know, things things are pretty grim, and the power relationships shift. Check it out. If you don't have HBO, you can get the video. I especially loved the psychotic cat. I'm very fond of psychotic cats. I had one once. I let it tear me up several times. Actually, uh, I did finally uh, make friends with it, but... I had to get rid of it when it attacked my son, Peter, in the movie. Ed Harris lets this damn cat claw him up several times. He's a foolish, yes, it tears up his car upholstery. I don't think it's possible for a domestic cat to do that much damage, but it was hilarious. The cat uh, belongs to the wicked witches, especially to a woman who fills him with guilt anyway. I've always been interested in animal wars, uh, the way we send our spirit out through our little creatures. Uh, my sister once let her dog, beautiful dog, attack her husband's sheep. He had sheep on this uh, land over in Hayward back in the 60s. And then one of his um, rams broke her hip, and then he let his chickens lay eggs inside her car, her fancy car. Then her Siamese cats met with his ire. It was quite a drama. It was fascinating. I think that cats are kind of witches familiars. Anyway, once again, that movie is Empire Falls. And this year, I have to tell you, HBO has become my escape. I'm addicted to it. I just disappear into the TV. I love the show Deadwood. 
Ian McShane got his golden globe for his role as the villain, the main villain, saloon keeper in this western. It's set in the Dakota Territories, just after the Civil War. I'm pretty sure the first season is out on DVD. It's called Deadwood. Gold discovered in the Black Hills and the town of Deadwood comes into being. Calamity Jane and Wild Bill Hickok are only two of at least 20 fascinating characters. Uh, I love the doctor who's still recovering from his experience in the Civil War and the nutty guy who tries to start a newspaper in the town. Uh, let's see, there are two complete seasons now. The script is what knocks me over. There's, oh gosh, a bit of Mark Twain, uh, a little Dickens, Bits of Elizabethan bloody melodrama, uh, murderous, murderous stuff, uh, the ways in which a community establishes the power structure, you know, uh, the Chinese in the town, fascinating. Um, in the last uh, show, I think, uh, yeah, they were burning the corpses of uh, Chinese prostitutes to save the money it cost them, you know, to send them home uh, to be buried so that they might have an afterlife. It was um, uh, grim. The author, David Milch, insists that he's done research on this stuff. Uh, his language is florid, but a lot of it feels absolutely accurate. I think, um, you know, people did... Uh, uh, talk that way in the 19th century not not of course um, exactly but uh, the um, what is it uh, the formality on top of all the uh, obscenity I think will hold the young people David Milch the writer wrote for NYPD Blue and Hill Street Blues uh, he's kind of a nut um, anyway that's Deadwood but remember that one is not for the children not for the children also, Six Feet Under, I think I I shared that with a uh, youngster. Uh, it, it, it's pretty grim. It's about people. Six Feet Under is all about people who live over a funeral home, as we all do. Yes, life and death are always uh, omnipresent in the midst of life. We are in death. It's starting its new season next Monday night. And I've loved this one for years. This this is just a knockout. This is what started my addiction to HBO, I think, more than The Sopranos. I think The Sopranos is a wonderful portrait of the American uh, criminal class. You know, now they're CEOs, but in The Sopranos, of course, they are mafia. But it's all the same, you know, as the uh, Godfather movie showed us. You know, that's just one of the early steps on the ladder. You move from crime to corporate uh, capitalism. Anyway, uh, I don't know if they can come up with more relevant material on Six Feet Under. Uh, that series began, had its uh, birth before 9-11, before this shift in our national consciousness. Uh, it was during the stage or age when many Americans were still deeply narcissistic, uh, buried in New Age self-development, you know, all that stuff. Uh, uh, human potential movement, we called it. <laughs> and our obsession with relationships, of course. That's all changed. We don't have that stuff anymore. 
we're all of us now concerned about the world, right? Now, now that the world is serious, uh, now that we see that the Bush crime family is our, our mega relationship that affects our lives the most. Anyway, uh, I guess the national soap opera is just another ongoing series for some people. It does determine the shape of our future. Uh, oh, what a tangled web is wove by Karl Rove. He has created, yes, created his culture, our culture. And the dispossessed are strangled in that tangled web. Strangled, and as we uh, now know, the words over the door read, There is no help coming, uh, it's pretty clear now, deja vu all over again. Um, the emperor, folks, is buck naked. His gang, these neocons, uh, we call them now neocon artists, these confidence men, they are openly consolidating power. Yes, in the executive branch, it's that king thing, power trip. Air America is shouting this news 24-7. Uh, Air America focuses almost entirely on uh, the inner workings of the government, electoral politics, um, more so than on uh, ecology and the environment, that sort of thing. Uh, oh, think Hillary. Think Hillary. Can Hillary happen in 2008? Some folks say yes. How about that? Uh, whenever I mention Hillary... I get terrible feedback here at KPFA, but uh, I think that the neocons uh, have given us a clue because they're taking Hillary so seriously, they're beginning their attacks on her already. So that means she's got something going for her. I'm one of those who still operates on the assumption that a Democrat in the White House is a better deal than a Republican. Some people say it really makes no difference at all. I think it does. I go on the notion that, you know, Democratic administration won't kill all the children, at least not before lunch. Yes, my old line was that the Republicans have a license to kill. The Democrats give us a stay of execution. You know, recent history gave us Jimmy Carter as a respite from Richard Nixon then Bill Clinton as the two-term respite from the Reagan-Bush catastrophe. Remember, Bill Clinton was the first since Franklin Delano Roosevelt to win popular support for two, two terms. Of course, each time the executive goes Democratic, the lurch back to the right goes even further. Yes. I date this decline from 1980 and Ron Reagan. Some people uh, date it from uh, Barry Goldwater's time, 1964, that agenda. Remember, Hillary Clinton was a Barry Goldwater Republican as a very, very young woman. By the late 60s, she started college. She had moved to the left, become a liberal, along with Bill, yes, She's a pragmatist. I remember that health care plan. I knew she was going to overreach, as they say. She did just what I would have done, and then she learned fast that politics is the art of the possible. 
She said it, actually. She said it. It was more than she could do. Single payer, she said, won't happen. They won't let me. She assumed that she had the power to make that happen. She's still trying to do some of the impossible things. She's working on the depleted uranium. The vet's coming home with that mess. Anyway, lefties are now in the position of only holding the line, that is, stopping the right from doing their worst. Now, uh, this won't change until the left has a powerful constituency. I thought the anti-war movement would do it, but I'm sorry, it's not enough. The Republican machine doesn't seem to be slowing down. Yes, Memorial Day yesterday, Bush announced that the march to freedom will continue. Yes, it will continue. He will send more men and women to die. What was it he said? Yes, he's going to catapult the propaganda. I heard him say it. He's going to catapult the propaganda. So more men and women can give their lives for you and me. Actually, for profits. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Walk in light. Light them up, boy.